Okay, we are continuing together our study in our book, uh, The Garden of Eden of the Glory of Heaven. And we completed last time chapter 4, which dealt with the Noahic Covenant. And we are now getting into the covenants themselves proper. And um, as we studied together the Noahic Covenant last time, we saw that it was an extremely important covenant uh, in terms of God working out his promise of redemption that he first declared in Genesis 3.15, when he would send the seed of the woman to defeat and undo uh, the work of the serpent uh, who caused the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden. And the main thing that the Noahic covenant accomplished was the promise of stability, both physically in the world and the universe, and culturally among humanity, so that the plan of redemption could be worked out over the process of time. Now, you recall that God made a promise in the Noahic covenant that there would never again be a flood, and that springtime and harvest and summer and winter would never cease functioning. And so there's not going to be any catastrophic destruction of the world or of the human race. And there's going to be consistency and predictability and natural laws and, and in, the, in the flow of the seasons from one to the next. So that there's going to be a stable, predictable, physical environment for us to live in. And then you recall the other aspect of the Noahic Covenant is that God not only told the people to be fruitful and multiply, he not only provided them with uh, food to eat in terms of they could eat all the animals with a prohibition against eating of blood, but he also told them that uh, whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. And so God instituted capital punishment and he authorized men to form governments in order to investigate crime and in order to punish that crime. And you recall that one of the great problems before the flood is that the earth was filled with violence and there was no mechanism to restrain it among humanity. And so what God did in the Noahic covenant is he implemented a mechanism for restraining human depravity and human sinfulness and human wickedness in the form of human government, which would administer justice and thus be a restraint on the wickedness of men. So the Noahic covenant provided for cultural stability. When you have absolute, total and complete chaos where people are just slaughtering people all the time, it doesn't provide an environment within which um, the gospel can go forth uh, very effectively or that the plans and purposes of redemption uh, can be worked out. So what the Noahic covenant provided was stability and predictability, both physically in terms of the physical universe and the earth and culturally in terms of the way in which men would deal with each other. And of course, the great token of that covenant was the rainbow that God set in the clouds. So what the Noahic covenant does is it provides a framework within which God's plans of redemption can be carried out, a stable framework uh, physically and culturally. 
So we have a stable earth, we have stable societies, and within that framework, God's plan of redemption uh, can be achieved. Now, that brings us then today to chapter 5, which deals with, or begins to deal with, I should say, the Abrahamic covenant. And while he took one chapter to deal with the Noahic covenant, he's going to take three to deal with the Abrahamic covenant. And this tells us something of the importance and the significance of this covenant. Now, after the flood, men were still sinful. Men were still corrupt. Uh, we see that even in Noah's drunkenness. We see that in uh, Canaan's mockery of, of Noah. We see that in the curse that was... Uh, pronounced upon him. Uh, we see it in the Tower of Babel, where men gathered together in defiance of God's instructions to uh, scatter upon the face of the earth and to inhabit the earth. And instead, they were congregating together and attempting to build uh, a tower to heaven. And so even though God had brought this tremendous judgment on the world, uh, it hadn't restrained um, the sinfulness of men, they still were in rebellion against God. I mean, it had been restrained in terms of the principles of the Noahic covenant, but nevertheless, men were still uh, in rebellion against God, and they were still uh, very sinful. And so, even though the flood had occurred, they didn't look at that and go, wow, look at the judgment God brought. We better straighten up. Uh, there was none of that. And we see that oftentimes in people's lives where God will bring some great judgment into their life. And rather than repenting and rather than, than uh, returning to the Lord and straightening up and fearing God, they just press on in, in their wickedness and defiance and rebellion. Well, what God did then in his mercy and his grace is he established a covenant with Abraham. And Abraham was selected by God to be the recipient of the most important covenantal promise that is in the Bible. And the reason why the Abrahamic covenant is the most important covenantal promise in the Bible is because out of that covenant flows the two great covenants, the old covenant, which governed Israel for some 2,000 years, and the new covenant, which governs um, the church uh, from this time forward until Jesus Christ comes. And so it's really important for us to understand that the Abrahamic covenant is the root out of which both the old covenant and the new covenant flow, and it provides the foundation of God's redemptive covenants. And so if we don't get a clear understanding of the Abrahamic covenant, then we're never going to understand either the Old Covenant or the New Covenant, which, of course, comprise uh, the vast majority of biblical revelation. The Old Covenant, of course, starts in Exodus chapter 19 and 20 and following and covers the entire rest of the Old Testament. And, of course, the New Covenant begins with Jesus and the Gospels and covers the entirety of the New Testament. So the vast majority of the Bible is taken up with the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And if we don't get the Abrahamic Covenant right, which is the foundation for both of them, then we will not understand how those things all work together and flow together. Now, in order for us to uh, understand the um, Abrahamic Covenant, 
What I want us to do today is read all five passages in which the Abrahamic covenant is declared to Abraham himself. And so we're going to survey the passages. And as we do so, we're going to get a picture of the nature of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, what we need to understand is that these promises that are made to Abraham are declared several times over the course of his life. As I said, on five separate occasions, God declared his covenant promises to Abraham, which comprise the Abrahamic covenant. And so what we're going to see is that the uh, full grasp of the totality of the covenant is obtained by collating all five of these passages and putting all the terms together. Because no one passage contains them all in the detail that we have when we combine them all together. And so over the course of Abraham's life, various details of the Abrahamic covenant come to light more clearly as God adds various aspects and expands um, the various terms of the covenant. Now, let's turn then, please, in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. The book of Genesis chapter 12. Now, <clears throat> as you know, creation took up Genesis uh, 1, 2, and 3 and the fall, in which there was the promise of a Savior. And then Genesis 6 through 9 took up the subject of the flood. Uh, Genesis chapter 11 deals with the subject of the Tower of Babel. And then in Genesis chapter 12, we come to this man, Abraham. And um, it says in Genesis chapter 12, of course, he's mentioned in 11. Um, but we'll start at Genesis chapter 12 because we're focusing on the Abrahamic covenant. Now, what we have here in these first several verses is the beginning of the declaration of the promises of the Abrahamic covenant. Notice Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And notice we have the mention of the land. <clears throat> and I will make of thee a great nation. And there's the promise of the seed or descendants. And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And there's the promise of the blessing. And what we're going to see as we go through the Abrahamic covenant is that these three promises occur in various forms uh, over and over again, where God promises Abraham the land. He promises him a seed, a people to occupy that land. And then he promises him blessings that God would bless Abraham personally and that Abraham then would turn around and be a blessing to those that he had contact with. So we have the promise of the land, we have the promise of the seed, and we have the promise of the blessing. And we see those mentioned here in these opening verses. Verse 1, unto a land that I will show thee. Verse 2, I will make of thee a great nation. There is the incipient promise of the seed. And he says, and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shall be a blessing. 
And there's the promise that Abraham would be blessed and be a blessing. Verse 3, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So we have quite an expansion here of the promise of the blessing. And so Abraham departed, verse 4, as the Lord had spoken to him. And of course, he journeyed to Canaan. And in verse 5, in the last phrase, it says, And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. So God apparently informed Abraham about um, uh, somewhere along the way that this is where you're headed and this is where you're going to wind up. And it says in verse 6, And Abram passed through the land under the place of Sikkim, under the plain of Morah. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto thy seed, there's the promise that Abraham's going to have a seed, will I give this land? And there builded he an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. So now Abraham knows what the land is. It's the land of Canaan. So this is the first statement of the Abrahamic covenant. Now we don't see any swearing of an oath here, but nevertheless we do see the promises laid out. Now the second place in which the Abrahamic covenant is stated and its terms set out is in chapter 13. Um, there was a famine in the land. Abram went down to Egypt. He came back up to the land. In chapter 13, um, he prospered exceedingly, and so did Lot. And uh, there was an argument between Lot and, uh, and Abram, their herdsmen, in terms of the flocks. And Lot chose to move down to Sodom, as you recall, and did so. And Abram was left alone up in the hill country. It says... Um, Verse 14 of Genesis 13, Genesis 13, 14. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it into thy seed forever. There's the promise of the land. There's the promise of the seed. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Rise, walk through the land, and the length of it, and the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Um, and so what we see here is God beginning to add some detail about the land, as far as the size of it goes. It wasn't just that little spot where Abraham was camping. It was going to be expanded to the north, the south, the east, and the west. And Abraham wasn't going to just have a few descendants. He was going to have as many, it says, as the dust of the earth. So we see that the promises are being expanded. Now, there was nothing said here about Abraham being blessed or being a blessing. Uh, and that wasn't included there. So that's the second statement then of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, the third statement of the Abrahamic covenant is over in Genesis 15. Now, in Genesis 14, what we have is um, uh, Lot being captured by these five kings that had invaded uh, Canaan and carried off. And Abraham went and uh, defeated those kings and recaptured Lot. And uh, Melchizedek was introduced to us. And uh, Abraham gave him tithes of all that he uh, had had possessed and, and gotten in the battles. And then we come to chapter 15. 
It says, And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram now is starting to wonder when this promise of the seed is going to get fulfilled. You remember that he was 75 when he came to Canaan, and his wife was 65. She was actually 10 years younger than she was. And any of you women who have achieved the age of 65 know that that's a little past childbearing years. And so even at the very beginning, when God promised Abram a seed, um, it was physically impossible uh, for Sarah to conceive at that point in her life. So Abram says, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. Abram said, Behold, thou hast given to me no seed. You haven't kept your promise. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. So what he's saying is, is you know, it's not going to be your servant. It's going to be someone who comes out of your own body. Verse 5, And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now towards heaven and tell the stars that thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. So God is reinforcing and restating the promise of the seed, of descendants. Verse 6, And he, that is Abram, believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, now there's the promise of the land, right? And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And the whole rest of the chapter is taken up with this issue of the land. Verse 9, And he said to him, Make me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one opposite the other, but the birds he divided not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that's not there. Now we're gaining some new information about this seed of Abraham. We find out they're going to go down to Egypt. They're going to be in captivity there for 400 years. And then God's going to bring them out. And then he's going to give them the land. So Abram now becomes aware he's not going to possess the land in his lifetime. Okay. So he says, No, verse 13, of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs and shall serve them. And they shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward they shall come out with great substance. And of course, that's speaking of the captivity in Egypt. And they shall go unto thy fathers in peace. And thou shall go unto thy fathers in peace. And thou shall be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites, who currently occupied Canaan, was not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. And in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. That's the first mention of covenant, isn't it? Saying, Unto thee have I given this land from the river of Egypt and the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenazites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaims, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So those were all the people that occupied 
uh, the land that God was giving to Abram. And so what we have in the making of this covenant is the separation of the animals. Uh, the parties to the covenant would walk between the animals and swear an oath that if they violated the covenant, what had been done to the animals should be done to them. That is, they should be killed. And so these oath sworn promises, these covenants were taken very seriously. Uh, what's interesting is that God was the only one who went between the pieces, personified here under the burning lamp and the smoking furnace. Uh, God came down under that image and he passed between the pieces, but Abram didn't. And so what this is, is what we call a unilateral covenant, which means that only one party is making promises. The other party is not making any promises. And the same was true with the Noahic covenant. God made all the promises. Noah and his family and the animals, they didn't make any promises. God made them all unilaterally. And so the Abrahamic covenant is also a unilateral covenant. And what we find about unilateral covenants is that they always get kept because God is the, is the one who is keeping them and therefore God never fails. Now, when we get to the old covenant, we're going to see that it's a bilateral covenant. And because uh, Israel was a party to the covenant and made promises in that covenant, that's the reason why that covenant wasn't kept. And that's the reason why it was done away with because the weakness of the unprofitableness of one of the parties that was involved in that covenant. So here God uh, says to Abram uh, some more details about the land, about its dimensions, about the timing in which they're going to occupy it and about the uh, particular generation that is going to uh, come into possession of it. And so God here uh, makes a covenant with Abram and he uh, confirms that covenant by uh, passing between the pieces of the animal. Now that's then is the third statement of the Abrahamic covenant. And you'll notice that each time God adds more details and more details. Now we come to chapter 17 and we're going to read the entire chapter once again because it contains uh, much more detail about the Abrahamic covenant. Chapter 17, here's the fourth statement of the Abrahamic covenant. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, now it's been 74 years, that strike that 24 years uh, since Abram came into the land, 24 years. He came in when he was 75 and now he's 99. It says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the almighty God walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. So once again, God declares the covenant and he declares the seed. He's going to multiply Abram. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked to them, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Now, I might add that what happened in chapter 16 is that um, since Sarah wasn't conceiving, and since God had said in chapter 15 that the son was going to come out of Abram's body, didn't say anything about Sarah right then, um, Sarah had the bright idea of giving her handmaid to Abram and he went in unto her and conceived a son and that was Ishmael. Okay, so in chapter 16, Ishmael has been born. 
Uh, but God is going to say in chapter 17, He's not the one. He's not the seed of whom I spoke. All right? So, <clears throat> it says in verse 3, And Abram fell on his face, and God talked to them, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. So the name Abram means, Abraham means father of many nations. Okay. Um, and that's why his name was changed. It was a declaration of God's promise. Verse 6, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make the nations, I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. So he's going to be the progenitor of more than just the nation of Israel. He's going to be the progenitor of multiple nations. And we see, in fact, that was the case. Um, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. Verse 7, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, and the generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. So we see here uh, where God is really stressing uh, the promise of the seed. Verse 8, And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land, wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So what God is saying is that I'm going to give you a seed, and, and you need a land to live in, I'm going to give you the land elsewhere. He said, I'm going to give you the land, and I'm going to give you a seed to occupy it. And so... The seed and the land go together because if you have a people, you need a place to put them. If you have a place to put them, you need a people to fill it up. Okay, so, so God makes these promises. And here God specifically stresses in some detail that he is going to be their God. And um, he says, I will be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. I will give you the land of Canaan for everlasting possession. I will be their God. Verse 9, And God said unto Abraham, Notice the name change now. Is, is, he's never called Abram again. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you, and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. So now the sign of the covenant is declared. Up until this point in time, we haven't heard a word about circumcision, have we? Okay. What was the sign of the Noahic covenant? Rainbow. The rainbow. So what's the sign of the Abrahamic covenant? Circumcision. Okay. All right. So he says, verse 11, you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. It shall be a token of the covenant between me and you. He that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man-child in your generations. He that is born in your house or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. How long is the Abrahamic covenant going to last? Everlasting, right? It's never going to be abrogated. It's never going to be superseded. It's never going to be put away. It's, it's an everlasting covenant, just like the Noahic covenant. Okay. Verse 14, And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from among his people, for he has broken my covenant. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And that name means princess. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. 
Now here God specifically says, Abraham is going to be you and Sarah that are going to produce the seed, not you and Hagar. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? Or shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And this laugh was not a laugh of mockery. It wasn't a laugh of unbelief. It was a laugh of joy. Um, it was a laugh of, of just um, ecstatic delight. Uh, and the reason why we know that is because God didn't rebuke him for it. And we see that in the next chapter, Sarah laughed and God rebuked her for it because her laugh was a laugh of unbelief. <clears throat> Verse 18, And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. God, Abraham saying, well, What's going to happen to Ishmael? And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. Um, and I will establish my covenant with him, that is with Isaac, for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. So Ishmael is not going to be included in the Abrahamic covenant. He's not going to have any part of it. Verse 20, And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he get, and I will make him a great nation. So there's going to be some physical, external, material blessings on Ishmael. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. So um, whatever nine months from then is, that's when it's going to happen. And uh, so God's now telling him the time that it's going to occur. Verse 22, and he left talking off with him and God went up from Abraham and Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all that were born in his house, and all that were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day as God had said unto them. So Abraham uh, took to himself the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, and all in his household did as well. Now, <clears throat> we next in chapter 18 have the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, in chapter 19, uh, the deliverance of Lot, uh, the loss of Lot's wife, and of course, the disgrace of the incest between Lot and his daughters. And um, Abraham, in chapter 20, uh, moves from thence towards the south country, and he gets involved with uh, Abimelech and lies about uh, his wife being his sister, when in fact, uh, that's not the case. And now we come to chapter 21. It says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time which God had spoken to him. And we're not going to read any more than that just to say the baby was born. All right? Now, when we come to chapter 22, um, God says to Abraham, go sacrifice that child on the mountain. And you remember, he, he went to the mountain and he was going to kill his son. Uh, and God stopped him uh, just as he was ready to plunge the knife into him. And this is what God said in response. And this is the fifth and final statement of the Abrahamic covenant to Abraham. All right. 
Verse 15, And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn. Now here is the swearing of the oath. All right? By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, because thou hast done this thing and not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee. There's the promise of blessing. In multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven. There's the promise of the seed. And as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gates of thy enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. There's the blessing, because thou hast obeyed my voice. And Abram returned to his young men, and they rose up and went away. So what we have in these five passages in Genesis 12, and Genesis 13, and Genesis 15, Genesis 17, and Genesis 22 we have five separate statements of one single covenant. And we take all of those terms and we put them all together. Then we have the full expression of the substance and content of the Abrahamic covenant. Now what's interesting then is that God takes these very terms and he reiterates them again with Isaac after Abraham's dead. And then after Isaac is dead, well, not after he's dead, but after Jacob leaves home, he reiterates them again with Jacob. And so God confirms the Abrahamic covenant, not just with Abraham five times, but also with Isaac and also with Jacob. And we'll look at those next week, God willing. But what we want to see here in reading these passages, become just familiar with the passage. I'll be referring to them many times so you know where they are, you know how to find them, and you know what the content of them is. And remember, the three promises are the promise of the land, the promise of the seed, and the promise of blessing. Those are the three promises that were made to Abraham, that he would be blessed and he would be a blessing to others. All right? Well, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful covenant that you made with Abraham. And in, the, in, in it, we find the foundation and the basis for all of the blessings we have uh, in terms of uh, having uh, the seed, Jesus, come and provide us with the land, which is the new heavens and the new earth, where we will have blessing and be a blessing uh, forever and ever into all eternity. Thank you, Father, for uh, the fact that this promise was fulfilled uh, literally to Israel and that it is fulfilled uh, spiritually to us under the new covenant. Lord, we pray that you help us to understand these things and thus rightly understand our Bibles. In Jesus' name, amen.